0: There are are many of you who who have had difficult and painful experiences in the past that if you were honest are still, you're living in the midst of the pain of those today, no matter how far removed you are. And you wonder, God, were those throwaway moments, what was that about? Could I just have them cut off from my life? Or is there something more purposeful that you were doing in that, that I can trust in? And is there something more purposeful that you're doing that I can trust in now? You see, that's what's really at the heart of this passage, is an understanding that God is a purposeful God in all things. For the person this morning who feels the burden of a broken world, they need three things from this passage in order to Wait with patience for God's deliverance. We ended last week's sermon in verse 25. It said, but if we hope for what we do not see, that means we we don't see God's purpose, but we have our hope firmly rested in that. Here's how we'll respond when we're confident of the coming future glory of God. We will wait for it with patience. And so then he turns his attention then in these five verses to say here's why you can wait for it with patience and what God provides so that we don't just endure to the end but in the midst we can live and commune with God. We can grow in maturity and we can embrace the circumstances even the trials and suffering that come about in our life. And And so therefore, as we battle sin and deal with trials, there will be suffering. But the gospel promises us that there is a genuine hope of salvation and a future grace from God that we can count on. And because of that hope, we can endure with patience the trials we experience and wait, he says, with eager longing for God to work out his plan over our lives. And so this passage shows us three things we need in order to endure present suffering with eager longing. To endure future trials with eager longing of God's provision and our experience of future glory. And so we can endure this kind of suffering with eager expectation when we understand God's provision. So the main idea today is we can endure suffering with eager longing because of God's provision. We don't just wait in the midst of suffering hoping it will subside, but we wait confidently knowing that God's provision in time is coming and that he can comfort and secure us until that day comes. And so this passage shows us how to wait. It shows us what God provides while we wait. And I want us to show that to you as we walk through it in detail today. The first thing that we see is that in order to wait with eager expectation, he provides the assistance of the Spirit in prayer. He provides the assistance of the Holy Spirit in prayer. When it comes to going through trials and suffering. When it comes to experiencing deep difficulty, what is our problem when it relates to God? This passage answers it. It states it kind of obviously. What is it that makes it so hard for us? Well, it says at the very beginning, we're weak. We're weak. Now, that's not a derogatory sense of weakness. It wants us to come to terms with the fact that we're extremely limited. You know, the reality is the, the trials and difficulties we face bring us to a point where we recognize how incapable we really are of controlling our circumstances. And I don't, I don't know if you've come to that point. But, but this is what feels like makes you feel like your life is splitting apart when you're suffering. Is that we realize we're in a place of weakness. Incapable of doing anything about it. And what happens here is he says, he gives us good news about where we're at. It says likewise the spirit helps us in our Weakness verse 26 says that we have a genuine weakness in the face of hardship Now it elaborates on this weakness to kind of expose what is really weak about us? Well, it says that we do not know what to pray for as we ought our biggest problem when we pray when we experience suffering Is that it just it confuses us because we actually don't know what to do In the midst of that trial we want to be able to say god here's what I need God, I know if you give me this, everything's going to be okay. And we think we're right. And sometimes God gives it to us and it's not okay. And he says our problem isn't just that we're, we're weak and unable to affect the circumstances. It's that we don't even know how to pray as we ought. We're in a position as people so limited in our wisdom that we have no clue in the deepest darkest moments what to even pray i mean have you ever been in a moment in your life where you didn't know what to pray i, I just want you to get that moment in your mind for a second you could pro- i think everybody in the room can remember a time in your life where you didn't even know what to pray and it just sounded like this oh lord lord don't even know what to say because we're so incapable of knowing i don't even know there there's been times in my life i didn't even know what i needed somebody say what do you need right now i don't know and the only thing that we can do it says is we can groan (laughs) right but he goes on he says we're weak we don't know what to pray for as we ought But there's a contrast then with what the Spirit does in prayer and what we do as a result of our weakness. It says that we often do not or cannot discern what God's will is in the situation as we pray. And the Spirit, though, by contrast, understands God's will deeply, even though we don't understand. So the provision of God in this passage is is this, that, that in those moments, at the same time we're weak and we don't know what to pray for as we ought, God has given us the presence of the Holy Spirit as a helper, and he speaks in the language of our groanings. Like he goes all the way down to the bottom and understands the depths of our groanings and he speaks in that language. That's what it says. That, that, that we groan inwardly in the earlier verses under the weight of suffering. And now here, he speaks with groanings deep to, too deep for words and intercedes on our behalf. So that means that while we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is taking our sometimes inaudible inarticulate groanings and desires, and he's saying, God, this is what he really needs. This is what she needs, because I know what you're up to, and and this is what this person needs. So the spirit is down in our inner noise in our lives, and down to these deepest groanings, and he's able to take those groanings, which here is not a negative word, but the real groaning that we experience under suffering, suffering, Fighting sin, temptation, trials, and the Spirit takes our groanings and translates them on our behalf into prayers before the Father for all of his provision. It's an amazing thing. The ministry of these prayers is a ministry, it says, of intercession. He stands in our place. He's united to us. He deeply loves us. He's the gift to us of Jesus' deep love for us to be present in our life to speak to God on our behalf. And so, but it but listen, it gets better than that. It doesn't stop there. Notice that if you look more closely, it's not just in the first verse, he says, that the spirit speaks with groaning too deep for words, verse 26. But then in verse 27 it says, and he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the spirit. So, so listen, follow this along. So the spirit knows the depths of your heart and your groaning. God knows the depths of the Spirit's heart. God is united to the Spirit in such a way that the Spirit and God are so deeply on the same page that the Spirit can pray God's will over our lives. While well, I'm groaning, wondering what God's will is, the Holy Spirit knows God's will and he can communicate to God and the Father knows the depths of what the Spirit understands about our lives. And this is how God works internally with himself to make sure we're cared for both in the depths of who we are, but we're tied to the depths of his will. And so he says, be comforted when you don't know what to pray. The spirit groans for you in God. He, the spirit not only speaks in groanings, he speaks in the language of God's will. The spirit is bilingual. You see that? It's an amazing thing when you walk into a group of people and you can't speak the language. But when somebody walks in and they can translate because they can speak in both directions. And the Spirit is given to us because the Spirit speaks the language of our groanings and the Spirit speaks the language of God's will and he brings those to bear on our lives. So we see that, don't miss this, the Spirit speaks in this language. I imagine a little bit of like some of those experiences you may have had where there's like three people in a conversation and you, maybe you and two other friends and, uh, and, and, and there's somebody going through something and they really need something in their life. And, and, and one of those friends begins to, begins to speak up and talk about something they're going through and something they really need right now. And uh, I feel like I've had this experience with Alex Chapman a few times, you know, where somebody else is talking in our, in our presence, and, and Alex and I already know. And, and we, we get this sense, so like, this person's hurting, and they're in difficulty. They're telling us what's going on, and you just do this, right? We got this. We know what's happening, don't we? We see what's happening. And, and, and then you get to tell them how you're positioned to help them and provide for that need even before they knew that they ever had it. It's an amazing thing when we get that sort of thing. And this is what's going on. The Holy Spirit and God the Father are doing this over our lives. They see us groaning. We don't know how are we going to survive this. What provision is there? I don't know where it's going to become. We're moaning and groaning. And the, and, and the Father and the Spirit, they're, they're, they're locking eyes. And they're like, watch what we're going to do. I can't wait to see this story work out and where we're going to take it. So what does that mean for us then? Well, it it means that there are two types of praying. First of all, I think it's important for you to see. There's a type of prayer that is mindless and self-centered. That as soon as you experience difficulty, you just say, God, this is what I want you to do for this situation. That's how we kind of react, right? Right or this is this is what i want that's one type of prayer and there's a type of prayer though that is oriented to the spirit and helps us walk faithfully while god's will is being played out in our lives that means we have to learn to pray in the spirit so ephesians 6 says something that has always been strange to me for the longest time about prayer it says praying at all times in the spirit well what he means is that we don't just start talking to god now if, if you If you never talk to God, you just got to get started talking. But as a Christian, we're to slow down and commune with God and let God's spirit begin to inform our prayers, to begin to ask questions even in our prayer. Lord, what are you doing? How can I embrace what you're doing through these circumstances in my life? And Lord, if I don't know your will right now, Would you help me get what I need and see this in a way that I need to see it? Some of you have a circumstance in your life where you've been praying what you think you need and the Holy Spirit is is speaking at the back of your life and saying, would you stop for a moment and think about what God might be doing? Can can I show you how I'm praying over your life? Because often the Spirit's prayers... (laughs) Are different from ours and so so here we're invited to commune and we cannot assume that our first guttural reaction and groaning is godly and wise so we don't need to be embarrassed about that with with how we first react to pain but bring it to God let the Holy Spirit begin to to inform our situation to Ask questions, what what kind of things does God do with these trials and these difficulties? What sort of thing might he be wanting to do in me as I go through this? And, and, And allow the Holy Spirit to give birth to a new kind of prayer. The Holy Spirit within us trains us to pray in accordance with God's will. And in the meantime, while we are immature in our understanding, he intercedes for us and prays what we ought to pray if we were in tune with God. Tim Keller once said it this way. If we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what God gives. A better way to say that same thing in the language of this passage is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us is that the Holy Spirit prays what we would pray if we understood what God knows. So that is the sort of praying that the Holy Spirit does on our behalf and He stirs up and He produces within us while we are still in our weakness. So that's the first thing we need when we're facing is that we can come with the Lord and commune over that situation and begin to be transformed as we pray in in the spirit With the holy spirit's guidance and instruction bringing to light his word Now the passage doesn't just leave us to wonder Though at what is the core at the core of god's will you can imagine go? Okay, since I don't know god's will is there any help for that? Is there anything I can trust in that? Well, the passage goes beyond that and says, okay, as we're praying, here's some things you need to remember about what God is doing, what God is up to in your circumstances. So so this passage helps us become informed about the way in which God works out his glorious plan and what his primary aim is for us in the meantime. So we see a second thing in order to wait patiently with eager longing. God provides assurance of his sovereignty in our pain. God provides assurance of his sovereignty in our pain. Now that word sovereignty, in case it's new to you, it means God's ability to control and rule over the details of life to bring about his purposes. God is sovereign over what happens. God is not unable to enact his will. And he's sovereign over that, and he assures us that he has a purpose in his sovereignty. It's God's ability to work out the details of your life in a way that accomplishes his purpose in you. And so we see that he provides assurance of his sovereignty in this passage. And what might be one of the five most famous verses in the Bible, we're given insight into how to endure patiently under trials and suffering in verse 28. It says, and for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't think this is a very difficult verse to understand. But I want to try and say a couple of things about it that bring clarity. So first, let me bring this together with with the first point by offering a personal reflection that might help you get inside what this experience looks like. It brings kind of together point number one in a sense of trusting that God is working all things out for good. Back in 2010, when we returned from Iceland and and our third daughter was born uh, with a congenital heart defect, it quickly became clear that i was going to have to transition from working for the inat- international mission board to something here in the states so this is you know 12 years ago um i had no idea what that would be it was a is an interesting situation we were really uncertain at stafford baptist the church that planted pillar and uh that had sent us and our family to iceland the pastor there at the time his name was bill jessup determined that the Lord was calling them to leave that pastor and take our place on the mission field in Iceland and continue the work that we had been doing the two previous years. And he recommended to the church that I take the position at Stafford Baptist Church as their pastor. Seems, oh, okay, we'll just do a little switcheroo here, right? So in the fall, Bill announced his resignation at Stafford Baptist and the transition plan and recommended, you know, he couldn't just make the decision uh and uh after praying about it and talking with annie we put ourselves forward into the mix of that uh decision making process there to be considered for that position the challenge was we kind of needed a job quick you know like we were unemployed essentially as we were rotating back we were we were being cared for by the mission board but there was an end to that date and we needed to seek out what was going on and um and so I became really convinced as we prayed that, that God wanted us to be in that process of, of allowing that church to decide whether they wanted me to be, uh, be the pastor there. And it was a ver- pretty sense of deep conviction. This is what God's doing. We put ourselves in the process. And of course, I was like, I really hope this could go quickly because we're not going to get paid after a certain date, right? Now, you guys see where this is going, right? As one would think, you know, uh, that would be easy, but... You know things are always a little more difficult for reasons that were a part of god's sovereign purposes that process went way slower and really to me like excruciatingly slow because uh it went it went for like about nine more months after that period of time while we were trying to uh figure out what we were doing okay and so it didn't go fast and we were we were there um we had a second surgery with gracie in january uh of that year and was, I, I just wanted to make a decision. Am I going to go to Stafford Baptist or should I go to a different place? I had turned down a couple other pastoral positions in the meantime because I just really felt that I was supposed to stay in this process. And, uh, and so I would pray. This is where it gets to the, the point. I'm coming around to it. <laughs> I know it's a long setup, but I really wanted you to get inside this because this moment has stuck with me for, m- for my entire life since then. And I would pray and I would say, Lord, I need you to, I need you to bring this to terms. I need you to somebody they they need to make a decision. I need to make a decision. Let me out of this. I'm gonna go get another job. And I would sense, no, that's not what you're gonna do. Uh did, do you have enough money? I'd be like, yeah, I mean, we're okay. Uh do you have some place to live? Yeah? Okay. Um you got food? You got people who love you, praying for you? Yeah. Alright, see see you next week, you know? <laughs> What, what's your problem <laughs> you know in the midst of it, i mean i'll tell you we we lived in four different houses that people basically provided for us a stranger gave us ten thousand dollars there's a whole weird story i won't get into really, but a stranger out of nowhere gave us ten thousand dollars while we we're going through the whole medical thing and i uh, would we pray we're like lord i need to know what i'm doing because <laughs> you know, i wanted to know what i was doing what, what's your will here you say well hang on make them make a decision or tell me, you know, Lord, let me off the hook here so I can go figure out what I want to do. No. It carried on and on, and I prayed, I mean, I would pray just out of of frustration, groaning, right? I'm like, oh, Lord, please, I want to know where this is going, you know? And he would just, every time, it was like, you you good right now? Last time I checked, you got groceries, right? Place to live? Things seem fine fact your daughter just came through surgery i mean like things are good right and that whole time you know i just I, i just kept saying lord we can't keep waiting we can't keep waiting well it lasted right into june of that year like nine months and uh when clint and the elders here looked at us and said i think we think you should stay here and be the primary preaching and teaching pastor. That whole time we were just kind of attending here, helping out. Pillar had supported us with insurance, and uh, we were we were just serving. And you know, Clint and I were getting to do lots of partnering in ministry. And this is when the church was oh, there was probably fifty five, sixty people or something that are part of the church, maybe sixty five. Uh, during that time and we're just serving and and hanging out and the lord's starting to use it and, and it's it's exciting and We're looking to the future and and, and clint became convinced and, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened He walked into me and he said because i had really been convinced to stay in this other process, right? And he came in and he said listen forget all that come work at pillar you be the preacher i'll lead the church family work You know, he's so decisive <laughs> uh, And I said get thee behind me satan <laughs> Right i'm telling the truth but for the first time, when I left that conversation that night, Clinton Jennifer, they, they they called and they've done this a couple times in our life. Hey, we're going to come over for dinner, you know. And uh, they showed up and they said, No, we were serious, and, uh, and that you should really. We think you should really consider this. And for the first time during that, in a conversation with Dale Marks, uh, who's sitting back there, said, Might this be the reason all of this has been delayed? That God is calling you to take up this work. And uh, a few weeks later, on faith, we decided to do just that. And uh, that later, a, a month later, we came on full-time here. And uh, that was about 11 years ago. And we look back now, and, and you know, between our, with the partnership and ministry and what's happened, 10 Praetorian Project churches later, and uh, just an awesome gospel family here, and we see what God was doing to bless us, but in the moment, i thought i knew what i needed see this is what he's saying he said you know in in that microcosm of our life all these things that you think are the problem might be the very vehicles in which god is preparing what he wants to accomplish in your life and the ways that he's preparing your heart your life changing you getting you ready for his purpose And so we see this here, and this is the meaning, right, of this verse, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And and we often just get sort of confused about what all that is. And so with that story in mind, but then thinking about the details of this, let me just give you five really quick things about this passage that are insights into Romans 8.28 and what it means. The first one is this. First, the best framework for understanding Romans 8.28 is the life of Joseph like we see in Joseph's life the sad uh details that seemed like endless tragedy worked together to bring about a massive and weighty saving of his family he was abandoned by his brothers sold into slavery He was wrongfully imprisoned, forgotten by someone he helped, but in just the right time, God exalted him out of prison, brought him to second to the throne of Egypt, and through that, he was positioned just right to make sure that his family was saved from famine and that that family would have been destroyed without it. All things work together for good. You guys, some of you are probably familiar with that story, Right? But, you know, that's all true, and, and it makes it sound really exciting. But, you know, when we read the Old Testament, one of the things that really even makes it more rich is when we, we think about all things working together for good, and we don't make ourselves the central character like Joseph. Because the truth is, we're not really heroes, right? Uh, and, and so better, like, that's, when you read that story, you'll be like, I'm like Joseph, I'm in the middle of some struggle, down and thing. No, 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 hang on a second. Let's for a second in this story be Judah, okay? So now I'm going to be Judah in the story i'm judah and i hated my brother so much that i was willing to throw him in a pit and get money from him and sell him off into slavery he went off into slavery and i went home and told dad that he had been eaten by animals and moved on with my life so that i could prosper in the way that i wanted and then all of a sudden a few years later with my life Famine hits our family and we're destitute and hopeless and dad encourages us to go down to Egypt. I don't know what I need or what's going to happen when I go, but when I get down there, the person second in command just happens to pay my family extra attention, loads our bags up extra well, and sends us home and we have no idea what is even going on and why that's the case. And we come to find out on our next trip back, it's our brother Joseph who we sold into slavery who had saved our lives. That's what it means that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That even in the worst mess, God's grace is that sufficient for whatever mess you have made out of your life and the difficult circumstances that you've had. That he can pour out that grace to bring you on to his good plan. The best way to understand is this story of joseph second thing second the last four fast second the promise is objective not subjective i mean by that that it doesn't promise that all things work together for good for the good that you desire that's not what it means it means that they work together for the good that god knows is even better and determined by him third the promise is limited It's a promise for those who, one, love God, and two, are called according to his purpose. It is almost the same as saying what I just said in the second bullet, but in a different way. If you do not love God, you will not like the work work he's doing in your life. If you have not experienced and responded to his call for salvation in Christ, you cannot be confident that you will participate in the good thing God is doing through the things that you are experiencing. That God has given this promise to those who are called according to his purpose who are secure in faith in christ as be- family members in his family the promise is limited fourth it doesn't mean we ignore grief sometimes we put pressure on one another to be happy when it's appropriate and healthy to grieve this verse sometimes can feel cliche can it somebody's going through deep difficult circumstances and we we don't know what else to say so we just some of us can't stop talking right when we're in a spot and we i'm guilty as charged you know it's like i got to fill that nervous moment of a difficult time with something uh, the only thing i think to say is all all, all things work together for good and i mean it's true it's true and sometimes it's really hard to be able to hear that in that moment but but listen It's appropriate and healthy for us to grieve the circumstances that God still works together for good. But in that grief, we trust that God is working out a promise. That's how we endure it. That's how we entrust ourselves to God. We grieve it. We see it for what it is. It's the brokenness of this world. It's the result of our sin. It's a whole bunch of things. And we we can see it for what it is. We can grieve it, but we can still trust God even in the midst of that moment. Uh, you know, one of the ways to think about that is think about John eleven thirty five, 35, where it says that Jesus wept. It says that Jesus wept. Well, what's happening there? You know, five minutes later, why is he weeping? He's weeping because of Lazarus' death. The grief of Lazarus' death on Mary and Martha's face causes Jesus to weep. But you know what? He's gonna ra- he raises Lazarus from the dead in five minutes. And he knows in that moment as he's grieving and weeping, He knows that five minutes from now, he's going to raise him from the dead, and he's still grieving. Well, that helps us understand what grief is. Grief is our present experience of suffering while we await future glory. And so it's not wrong because of a verse like this for you to feel the grief of some of the experiences and difficulties you have faced. But what we do is we, we don't grieve as people without hope we have our our minds turned toward the hope of what god has so we can see the grief we don't have to pretend but we can also we with eager expectation wait patiently for what god is going to do so that's the fourth one let's see the fifth one the fifth one is it doesn't mean we know how the details will contribute you see the reality is We don't, it says that all things work together for good. It doesn't say you are going to understand how all the things in your life are working together for good. And so this is a matter of us trusting God as Father. As he gathers his family, we say, God, I don't know all the details. I can't see all that you're doing. But I believe your word when you tell me that you are going to bring a good completion to what you have been doing. And so... We see here that all things work together for good. It doesn't mean we know how the details will contribute. We got those two things. The last thing this passage really helps us to, to see is the assistance that the sovereignty of God gives us as it highlights God's purpose for us. It highlights God's purpose for us. And, and so what happens here is the way that we come to really understand how we pray and how we wait for God to bring about the good things in our life is we realize that there's a specific purpose that God is after in our life that we aren't often after. That God has a different will and purpose for us and for his saving work in us Then we often have in mind, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for satisfaction, we're looking for joy. And often God brings those to us, but God has at the center of his bullseye for us, Causing us to be like christ verses 29 and 30 show us this really well It says for those whom he foreknew he also destined to be conformed to the image of his son In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined He also called and those he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified What is what is paul doing here? What he's doing is saying you usually see your relationship with god from your vantage point You try to understand your circumstances from your vantage point. But Paul here says, let me show you how God sees his saving work in your life. How God looks at the purpose that he's working out in your life. It began all the way back here before you knew what was going on. He gives us five categories. God knew you beforehand. Before he created, he knew you. That's what's going on here with foreknowledge. He's not arguing about what causes God's foreknowledge. This isn't a theological debate about that. He's saying, listen, you need to understand. That before you found yourself in this life and in this circumstance, God knew you. And then God, in knowing you, he predestined, that means he made a planned destiny for your life before before you were born, that he would aim those who he would bring into his gospel family at that destiny is described here. It's the most important part of verses 29 and 13. When it says he predestined us, it's saying he predestined his people to look like Christ. You see, the predestining work that's being spoke of here is that God said, I am going to reproduce the character that I see in my son in these people. And so he says he's going to produce that, so he He, he produces Christ likeness he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and so that that here it speaks of Jesus in his glory as something that is shared with his brothers who don't deserve it and so he wants to bring us into Christ likeness that means that as God is working his sovereign purposes out over your life his aim for your circumstance first and foremost is to shape you into the image of Christ. Now, the good news is for all of our failures, those whom he's predestined for that, it says he's called. That There's a particular time in your life where, where God, you know, you thought when you first thought started speaking to God, your relationship with God began, but long before that, God was pursuing you. And the way that happens is God pursues your life. And so long before you were really participating in this relationship, God was. God was pursuing you, drawing you, preparing you, bringing you in so that you would come to that point where you, that weakness that you feel, you would realize that you need God and you would turn to him and entrust yourself to him. And he provided Jesus' death on the cross so that those whom he called to himself, he could cleanse from sin. It says those he called, he also justified. You see, God wasn't done. He didn't want you to fear coming into his presence. He didn't want you to wonder, are these circumstances I'm facing, are they part of my condemnation? No, because at the beginning of this passage, we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because those whom he called, he justified and declared righteous through Jesus Christ. And so you, your circumstances are not about God's punishment over your life. It's about his purpose of Christ-likeness. And he says, right now, in the midst of what you're experiencing, God isn't done, because those whom he justifies. He also glorifies. It's the same thing Paul means in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 when he says that he who began a good work in you will continue to go on to complete it in you. That God has a purpose of completion to bring you into the glory. That's the full experience of this hope and promise and that he is going to keep you for that promise. Not you keep yourself. You see, you thought you were hanging on to God. You thought that, that, that really the most important thing that happened was you responded to God. And listen, I don't want to take away from that. Listen, if God is working in your heart and you know you're a sinner, God calls you to turn from your sin and trust him and respond to him. But when you get there, you're going to know that all along God had prepared the way. J.I. Packer used to say this of Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. He says that, that, that in the door into a relationship with God, over the door as we enter in, it says, whosoever will may come. And when you get inside, you turn around and it says chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. That moment you thought was just your choosing, God had been preparing and he will complete. You see, when you know this, when you have that promise, You can endure with eagerness. You can trust God's purpose. And you can learn to pray with the Spirit as you pursue God's will. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate and remind ourselves of your love over our life. We pray that you would continue to work in our hearts as we reflect on the Lord's Supper. Lord, we pray that as we do that, Lord, that you would take these truths and bring them deep into our lives. Thank you for the security we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.